we're finishing up a, a three-part series I've been doing um, called uh, Walking in the Truth. Walking in the Truth. And um, I have a lot less notes for you than I made you think. Um, it's my birthday's tomorrow. Hey. 28 years old. And I'm single. Um, and, and I got a shopping date with my sister after this, so I don't want to keep you for too long because <laughs> we're going to get some clothes today. I'm excited. Um, <laughs> but anyway, walking in the truth, part three. And just a little review. Got our trusty whiteboard over here. Da-da-da-da. We've been looking at 1 John and Jude over the past couple of weeks. And, um, and just to give a quick review, is this in the camera, everybody? Are we good up here? Good. Awesome. Am I in the camera? Do I look good? How's my hair? <laughs> Thanks. Anyway, so we've been looking at 1 John. I don't feel like y'all can see this. Um, and here are just some themes, just as a reminder of what, what um, 1 John discusses. It talks about the children of God and the children of Satan. And it, and it characterizes God as light, as love, and as life. And that these three things are things that actually will start characterizing his children as they're born again. The children of Satan are characterized by lust, lies, and lawlessness. And John is very clear about how to tell which hemisphere you're in, so to speak. The heavenly children of God or the earthly underworld um, of, of the kingdom of darkness. And so John, he's, he writes this for um, three main reasons I'm going to highlight for this series. First of all, that you may not sin. He was giving them truths that would equip them to walk in freedom from habitual sin patterns. And when I say to not just like the act of sin, but also the effects and the scarring of sin on our hearts, which we'll talk more about. Um, secondly, regarding false teachers. False teaching had started to spread in the church, and we really hit on that hard last week. Um, this week, we're going to talk about the third thing, that you may know that you have eternal life. That you may know that you have eternal life. I'm titling this, the part three of this message is confidence before God. I want us to walk away today with confidence that we have eternal life. With confidence on who we are before the Father. And, and, there, and I meet a lot of believers you know, that, that question this thing. That they, 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 um, there's, there's a lack of confidence in many believers I met. People don't know, am I a child of God? Am I a child of Satan? And, and they wake up every day insecure about where they are. And they're standing before the Lord and how the Father feels about them. And, um, but John actually gives specific ways for us to know how. And um, when we're shaky and uncertain of who we are and how the Father feels about us, this affects how we relate to God and how we relate to people. If God's about to, is disappointed in us and is about to smash us and, and is wanting to punish us, that affects how we pray. On the other hand, if we know that God is fully in love with us and, and an accepting of us, we pray much more boldly and much more confidently. And we relate to people much more boldly and confidently, um, which we'll hit on later. But um, 
Here are things that that 1 John says that we can know. The the word know appears numerous times in this book. And so there are multiple truths that you can know for certain. And he tells you how. But um, here are a few that I've summed up and highlighted. Things that we can, without a shadow of a doubt, know. We can know that we know God. That's a good thing to know. (laughs) That I know God, that God knows me. We want to know that. We can know that we live in him and he lives in us. It's important to know that God lives inside of you. And you can know that. We can know that we are of the truth. That we're walking in the light. That we're not in darkness. We can know these things. We can know that we love God. And I really like that one. Because sometimes it's so easy for us to question the sincerity of our love and our devotion to Christ. And whether or not he accepts it and enjoys it. But we can know. We can know that we love God. Last of all, we can know that we have eternal life. We can know that we have passed out of death and come into life. We can know that we were once dead in our sin and children of Satan. And now we are alive in Christ and children of God. Come on, Jesus. We can know these things. How do we know these things? How can I know that? I'm glad you asked, because that's what my sermon's about today. <laughs> and I want you to walk away with boldness and confidence. I want to equip you. So, um, so take notes. Pay attention. Let the Holy Spirit minister to you. And let's just pray. Let's just focus right now on the presence of the Lord. The Holy Spirit, he lives in us. Let us focus on his presence inside of us right now. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And I pray for an opening of our eyes and a revealing of truth in our hearts that we could be bold and confident before you today. In Jesus' name, amen. So, how can we know these things? John gives us four different tests in the book of 1 John that can help us know where we stand as children of light or children of darkness. First of all, um, the, the doctrinal test. This doctrinal test is related to what we believe about the person of Jesus. John puts it this way. He who knows God, I'm sorry, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides, God lives in him, and he lives in God. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Messiah, you can also put Lord or Savior there, is born of God. And I like the word in in 1 John 4.15 that says confess. He that confesses. Jesus is the Son of God. Romans 10 says that if you confess with your mouth, you put audible words to the the heart belief and believe in your heart that, that, that Christ rose from the dead, you shall be saved. You shall be saved. And there's a power in confession of our belief. And I love, as we read a few weeks ago in our Jesusology series, talking about different Christian creeds that some churches recite every single week, which I think is awesome. Because they're confessing with their mouths, their faith, and what their heart believes. And there's power in it, and it's a declaration in the heavens. And it actually affects your whole life, the power of words. Um, And what you confess before people. If you will confess before people Jesus Christ as the Son of God who has come in the flesh. 
Um, and this was very important because people that John were, was writing to, false teachers were coming to them and denying Jesus Christ as the Son of God or denying him as fully man in the flesh. We talked about that in our Jesusology series and uh, touched on it a couple of weeks ago. But the person of Christ is very key. If um, you confess that Jesus is the Son of God, he's come in the flesh. God abides in him, he and God. Secondly is the spiritual test. The spiritual test. Our reception of the Holy Spirit. 1 John 4.13 says, By this we know that we abide in him. By this we know that we live in God. And he in us, because he has given us his spirit. He has given us of his Holy Spirit. John, 1 John 3, 24 says it this way. And by this we know that he lives in us, that he abides in us. Again, something that we can be confident and assured of. By the spirit whom he has given us. And so sometimes when we're, I've, I've met believers that are shaky in their confidence and their, in the, it's, am I a child of God? Am I saved? And there's this constant question, am I truly saved? Um, and, um, and, 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 and they try to find scripture verses to prove that they're saved. Like, well, well the Bible says I'm saved, so I must believe I'm saved. Um, and I think that there's, there's some truth to that. But even more importantly than reading on a piece of paper, I am saved, the spirit of God within you can assure you. And will assure you. Romans 8 says it this way. We've not been given a spirit of, 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 of bondage leading to fear again, but a spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father. And the spirit of God makes groanings and intercessions in us. And, 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 and no one can, can, can declare Jesus as Lord except by the spirit of God. And, and just so the spirit can come upon us and cause us to spontaneously cry out to God. And it's a testimony and a witness that we belong to him. Anyone who has the spirit of Christ belongs to Christ. Now, and I want to talk to us about because he has given us of his spirit. Um, in the book of Acts is the only book that gives us a real clear description of what it looked like when someone received the Holy Spirit. Um, there's, and, 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 and my personal belief about this is I don't think that we have to wonder whether or not we receive the Holy Spirit. How do I know I've received the Holy Spirit? Um, and there's, there's lots of references to it in the New Testament, but the book of Acts tells us what it looked like. And, um, and something that we see throughout the book of Acts is that every time that it mentions someone, the Holy Spirit falling on someone or them being so fall upon, they've been given the gift, they've received the Holy Spirit, they've been baptized in the Spirit, they've been filled with the Spirit, they've been given the Holy Spirit a promise. All of these words are used to describe the same events which were all a memorable experience with outward evidence both to the person receiving and to the person who was often laying hands on them. And oftentimes, even the people around them. <laughs> in the book of Acts, chapter 8, we saw a group of believers, Samaritans. They had believed in Jesus. They had been water baptized. A lot of them had had demons and sickness driven out of them. And there was great joy that broke out in the city. 
But a number of years later, Peter and John come and visit them because the Holy Spirit had not yet fallen on them, it said. And they knew that because that there was no visible outward manifestation of the Spirit that gave the individual and the person praying confidence that that person had received the Holy Spirit. So they laid hands on them, and it actually does not mention in Acts 8 what was happening, what was happening visibly, but there was a man named Simon who was a former sorcerer moving in a noticeable level of witchcraft and, and power that he witnessed Peter and John laying hands on people to receive the Holy Spirit. And it was so evident to him that power was being released that he said, this is better than what I had before I knew Jesus. And I want to buy that. <laughs> I got to have me some of that. As I say in the South. <laughs> His motives were a little messed up. But, um, but he noticed something. And um, in Acts 2, fire, wind, Holy Spirit fills them. They start speaking in tongues. Acts 19, the, the Ephesian disciples, they, Paul lays hands on them to receive the Holy Spirit. They prophesy. They speak in tongues. Um, there are all these outward manifestations. In Cornelius' house, in Acts chapter 10, this whole group of Gentiles, no Gentile had come to know Jesus as, as Lord and Savior at that point, had, had received the Holy Spirit at that point. Um, but Peter is preaching, and before he makes the altar call, these men, the Holy Spirit falls upon them, and they start speaking in tongues. And it was a memorable moment, both to the recipients and to the preacher. And it was something that in the next two chapters, when there was a council saying, ah, these Gentiles, you know, they're starting to come into the kingdom. Should we, do they need to be circumcised in order to be saved? Do they need to observe the law of Moses to be saved? Peter stands up and says, no, 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 they are already saved. It is by grace through faith. And here is the proof and the evidence that God saved them. That when I was preaching, the Holy Spirit fell on them the exact same way it did on us. He was making reference to a memorable event with outward manifestation that gave him and the recipients confidence that God had accepted them. Now, um, I'm not to say that, that tongues are the only way, but what we see in scriptures, it seems to be some type of spontaneous form of prophetic utterance or praise. Um, and, 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 and Joel 2 says this, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and they will prophesy. They will prophesy. And that's what Peter called the gift of tongues. He called it prophecy. What are you doing speaking in all these gibberish languages? We're prophesying. The Holy Spirit has come and we're prophesying. It filled us, it gave us the utterance, and we prophesied. And some people are like, well, I've never had an experience like that, or I don't know, I've prayed to, people have laid hands on me to receive the Holy Spirit, nothing keeps happening. Well, Jesus says, keep, go on asking. Ask, seek, knock, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. If you ask your Heavenly Father for the Holy Spirit, if us being evil can give good gifts to our children, how much more will He give the Holy Spirit who asks? And people come up and discouraged that they don't have the Holy Spirit. And, and sometimes we try to be like, well, do you have sin in your life? Do you have this? Do you have this? Do you have this? And, and, and there may be some value in that. But my heart is to assure them with faith. It's like, this is a promise for you. Yeah. 
It's for you, for your children, for all who are far off and all whom the Lord draws near to himself. And as I start assuring people of the promise of the Holy Spirit and that God is going to keep his end of the bargain if we ask him, that, um, that, he's gonna, he's, that they, they grow in faith and oftentimes they receive the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Either in that moment or later on. And I've met people that, that I, I got an email from a friend that prayed to receive the Holy Spirit months ago, grew up in the church, grew up as a believer, never heard about being filled with the Spirit or baptized in the Holy Spirit. I talked to her a little bit about it and she prayed that night and she did have an experience that was memorable, um, but um, tongues didn't manifest, but I think she actually had a, had a real encounter and in infilling the Holy Spirit. But she emailed me like three or four weeks ago and Matthew, I just, I was praying over somebody and I just started speaking in tongues, like not even trying to, <laughs> the girl wasn't even saved, you know, <laughs> it was just praying for somebody. And it was just, and, and I met people, they're walking down the street or they're driving in their car, or they're singing in their shower and just, whoa, God, Anyone have an interpretation? <laughs> Hopefully someone does by the end or someone's going to get mad at me for that. <laughs> um, and so it's, uh, but some people go into a vision and they start prophesying their vision. Sometimes that's the first time someone's had a vision. I've seen people fall down and cry out loud. Sometimes it's just, 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 just weeping and crying. One guy we prayed for in Memphis, um, he... He had just gotten saved. We baptized him with water bottles on the street, <laughs> which was awesome. <laughs> we laid hands on him to receive the Holy Spirit right then. And he, Andrew Orris and I, had to hold him up. He's like, falling over. And, um, and, and I asked him, like, how are you feeling? I said, I'm feeling a little woozy. <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, that's because there's a reason that in Acts 2, they were accused of being drunk. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so um, one girl, recently we laid hands on to receive the Holy Spirit. And she, um, afterwards, I asked her how she was feeling. And you could just see her kind of, whoa, whoa. And she, afterwards, she said, I feel like I just smoked five joints. <laughs> he is the most high. <laughs> And, and you hear a bit about her past. She knows what that feels like. So <laughs> this, is, this is, it's something new. It's something better. Something better. So some people have had these big dramatic experiences. Some people I've met have just really quietly. My brother. I laid hands on my brother in 2007 to receive the Holy Spirit. He prayed in tongues for maybe a minute. Very quietly with his eyes closed and then looked up at me and said, okay, I'm done. <laughs> I was like, hallelujah. <laughs> you receive the Holy Spirit. Um, so, um, so it depends on your temperament, on how dramatic it is. So if you haven't had this big weeping, bawling experience, that doesn't mean it wasn't real. Um, one pastor, Kenneth Hagin, one time was praying, laying hands on someone to receive the Holy Spirit. And the Lord spoke to Kenneth Hagin and said, dude, I think, well, he didn't say dude. Um, I think you've, re you've received the Holy Spirit already. And the guy's like, no, I haven't. He's like, oh, well, okay, maybe I heard wrong. But it just kept hearing this thing. And, 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 and then eventually, Kenneth Hagin asked him again, I really feel like you've already received the Holy Spirit. And the guy's like, well, I did. And I did speak in tongues, actually, but it just didn't feel like when I got saved. It wasn't as dramatic. And so I didn't think it was the real deal. And Kenneth Hagin's like, 
there's nothing better than getting born again. You know? <laughs> um, that peace and all that junk that lifts off of us when we surrender our hearts to Jesus. But we can be filled with power to walk out our new life. And it can be a memorable experience. And it will give you confidence. My grandmother is 80 years old. And I asked her in January if she had been baptized in the Holy Spirit. She's been a believer 60 years of her life. Never heard of that, never heard of it, so I explained it to her. And she was um, asking, or she, she, some other stuff came up, and, um, and, and there was some, some, some inner healing the Lord wanted to do in her heart, so we addressed that, and she's experiencing all kinds of inner healing. But she said this thing to me um, in the midst of the conversation. She said, I've, she had a real encounter with the Lord that, that is the reason she became a believer, um, um, and, uh, and, but she, she said, I pray every night for God to forgive my sins. And I have never, ever felt forgiven one time. Wow. And it broke my heart. And, and we, we, we went through some inner healing. And then I laid hands on her to receive the Holy Spirit. And I saw this peace come over her. And this real gentle, nothing real dramatic, but this gentle peace on, and a light on her countenance. And a few moments later, and I talked to her about tongues, and I, and I asked her a few moments later if she, had, if she was experiencing anything, and she said, I just, I see light and peace, and I know I'm forgiven. And a few moments later, she did speak in tongues. Um, and so I tell people, you don't have to speak in tongues to get the Holy Spirit. Now that you have the Holy Spirit, you can speak in tongues. <laughs> um, and, and often when I explain it that way, because people often have an experience, a peace and some kind of light has been common. Not every time, but it has been a common experience that people have. Anyway, it's a memorable event that gives us confidence and assurance that Christ lives in us. And if you haven't experienced that, you can come up and we can lay hands on you. And if the promise is for you. So, last or third of all, the moral test. The moral test. John puts it this way: um, He who practices righteous is righteous. Practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. That's a really big statement, which we'll touch on a little bit. Um, now, he who keeps the commandments and ab abides in him. He who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. So, so anyone that keeps God's commandments, God abides, it's proof that God abides in that person, and it's proof that that person abides in God. And I don't want you to look at these as like prerequisites for being saved. I want you to see this as evidence, is outward fruits and manifestations that, will, that, that is evident that, 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 that someone is um, born again. Um, but um, he who practices lawlessness... Um, and unrighteousness is of the devil. That's just what it says. And um, we'll, we'll talk more about that in a moment. But what are his commandments? If we're keeping his commandments, which ones do we have to keep? Is it the 10? Is it the 613 in the Old Testament? <laughs> like, is it all the Sermon on the Mount? What is it? What is it? First John actually tells us. It says, this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave his commandment. 1 John 4, 21. And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. 
the expression of love. Jesus puts it this way. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. This sums up all of the law and the prophets. Is love. Yeah. Um, and, um, and we don't have time to get into this, but, but, but the Bible talks about what love looks like practically. And John actually does talk about it. He says, if one of you sees a brother in need and does nothing, how can the love of God be in that person? Um, if someone who has the material resources of the world sees a brother in Christ that doesn't, where's the love? <laughs> um, this, and that which leads us to the last test, the social test, the love test. First John says, he who hates his brother is in darkness, walks in darkness, and is blind. He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. And I like this verse. Where is it? There it is. First John 3.19. My little children, let us not love in word or tongue, but in deed and in truth. Let us love practically and in truth in ways that Jesus defines love. We will know by this, by our expression of love for each other, and this shall assure our hearts before God. And you know, sometimes we're not perfect at this, but, but sometimes we find ourselves loving people on accident. I'm like, why do I love this person? They were kind of acting like a jerk yesterday. <laughs> and all they're doing is saying bad things about me, ignoring me, and hurting people that I care about. Why do I love this person? And, and as we start extending mercy and forgiveness towards people that offended us, you're going to find that when you're around them, you're actually going to start viewing them differently. And at some point over time, actually start enjoying that person's presence. And as I've released mercy and forgiveness towards believers and unbelievers, when I'm around them, that anger and the bitterness begins to fade. And I look at them and I'm like, ah, I just, they're just broken too. Hurt people hurt people. And they didn't know what they were doing. And you just see that child inside of them that needs Papa's love. Um, recently, that made me kind of mad. I'm like, I want to be mad at this person right now, but I love them. <laughs> like, I feel love and compassion for them, but I want to feel anger. But I'm just like, well, thank you, Jesus, that I don't. Um, so it's assured my heart. Okay, God's in there. Because <laughs> I would not be loving this person otherwise. <laughs> Anyway, so, but what about if we're not perfect at these things? What about, okay, God says, believe Jesus and love people, keep his commandments. What if I'm imperfect? What if I mess up? What if I sin? Does that mean I'm a child of Satan? Does that mean I'm not a child of God? And, and, and I want to address this because this is what so many believers struggle with. Um, in 1 John, actually can be a little confusing at first glance when he addresses this issue of believers that sin. Um, um, one verse says it this way. One verse says, um, um, anyone who says they do not have sin is a liar. I was like, okay, well, I can't say I have no sin. But then another verse says, he who is born of God does not sin. 
And he who sins is of the devil. And you're like, but he who does sin, there's an advocate. And it's just like, John, what are you saying? <laughs> what are you trying to say? And there are a lot of possibilities here. And just by a show of hands, I want to see what you guys believe. I'm going to read a number of statements to you. And if you agree that this is true, I want you to raise your hand. Um, here's the possibilities of what John is saying about sin. Possibilities that Christians, as Christians, we do sin. It's inevitable. How many of you believe that? Okay. Um, we will sin. It's going to happen. We should not sin. We must not sin. It's inexcusable, intolerable. You must not sin if you're a believer. Anyone believe that? A few of you. We need not sin. We don't need to. We do not sin. Nobody. How about this? We cannot sin. Wow. Let's see what John says. First John 3, 9. No one who is born of God sins because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin because he is born of God. So John's saying that someone born of God does not sin and cannot sin. Yet nobody in here raised their hands when I asked you that. What is he saying? What is he saying? Well, we need to look at this in its context. Because if we look at that scripture verse, one of two things will happen. Either we will feel really condemned all the time because... Everyone in this room has sinned <laughs> since they've become believers. Um, and, um, and they'll feel like, ah, I'm not a child of God. And they'll be wishy-washy in their confidence before God. Or, on the other hand, an arrogance that says, I'm a believer. Sin, I, it's impossible for me to sin. And I can do whatever I want and God won't view it as sin. That's arrogance. Um, so let's look at the context. First John 3, 6. He puts it this way. No one who abides in him sins, and no one who sins has seen him or knows him. And so it's conditional. And, this, and these, the, the tense of these, of these verbs is, is what's called the present continual tense in the Greek. So a really another rendering would be this way. No one who goes on living and abiding in Christ, Jesus says, abide in me, I will abide in you. Jude says, keep yourselves in the love of God. Abide in love. Stay in this place. Who goes on living and abiding in him um, um, does not go on continually, habitually sinning. Does that bring some clarity? No one who goes on sinning habitually, and, in, and I mean like in an unrepentant, I refuse over years, decades, however long, I don't know, um, has not seen God or know, or know God. So, um, so this is, um, here's, here's another way I, I rendered it. No one who continues living in Christ keeps on sinning. He who keeps on sinning continually, habitually, in a manner completely unrepentant, no, doesn't want to repent, won't repent, after warning, after warning, after love, after mercy, after truth, after grace, after everything, does not, he's saying, this person has never encountered God. Yeah. 
Because when someone has a true encounter with God, something changes in them and they don't want to keep sinning. And believers, when, when typically, we hate sin. Like we hate that we sin. And we feel ashamed and we don't know how to get out of it. And sometimes there is habitual patterns that we can get freedom on. But we're a sincere believer, but we're, but we're immature and we're weak. And we don't know these truths that John's writing that you, oh, it's on the other side, that you may not sin. He's saying here are things that will keep you from going on in a habitual sin pattern. And in a way that I've met, people come up to me and just they, they've sinned and they're confessing it and they're repentant. But they're like, I just don't know if God's going to accept me. I don't even know if I'm saved. I'm like, if you weren't saved, your sin probably would not be bothering you that much. If, if your sin bothers you, that's a really good sign that the Holy Spirit's talking to you <laughs> and the Holy Spirit's in you. Um, but I love how the New American Standard translates verse 9. No one who is born of God practices sin, practices lawlessness, practices unrighteousness. Jeremy Shuck puts it this way. Practice is something that you get better at. <laughs> no one who intentionally tries to get better at sinning and being unrighteous has seen or known God. Now, there may be some habitual and there may be some patterns that you need freedom from because of our weakness and our immaturity, but you're sincere and God sees that and he loves that. Then he's for you, not against you. So this whole letter actually does assume that Christians will sin. So if you raise your hand on those, you've been vindicated just now, um, but they won't go on doing with it habitually and they have a way of dealing with it. And 1 John 5 says, if you see a brother in sin, do everything possible to, to convert him. Um, and, and, and scripture, there are scriptures that I cannot get around having a meeting that, that there is a place of no return. And I don't know what that is. And I believe that we've often been too quick to assume that someone has, has reached a point of no return or is too far from God or is outside of salvation. I've seen people that for years and years will reject God, but then God will encounter them. There have been people that in the attempt of suicide, God has encountered them and they've gotten saved. So do not assume that someone has just gone so far beyond reach. But have a, a, a sense of fear of the Lord in us of like, if we see our brother continually going down this path, as we talked about last week, we want to do what we can to restore them. Um, if anything, we, we want them to receive all of their inheritance. Even if it doesn't mean they, they're not, whether this whole debate on losing your salvation, which I'm not going to go into, that's, 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 we've, we've been too quick to dismiss something as that. But we also need a, a sense of urgency when we see somebody that is just that knew God, had an encounter, and is very habitually and unrepentant of their sin. So, all that being said, what if I do sin? What if I do sin? If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. I'm going to read that verse again in a different way. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just 
to remove all of the punishment that we deserve for our sins and to cleanse us of all unworthiness. This is the good news. I will remember your sins no more. And he makes us accepted, clean, worthy, and desirable. And that's how he sees you. You know, I hear these what I call unworthy songs, unworthy worship songs, and they unsettle me a little bit, or unworthy Christian prayers. And it's the, oh God, I'm this terrible, disgusting, filthy pile of trash that you shouldn't have ever loved. And it just goes on. I'm unworthy, I'm unworthy, I'm unworthy, I'm unworthy, I'm unworthy. And, 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 and it just, it, it doesn't sit right with me. Um, because um, in, um, it just, to me, honestly, I think a lot of it, maybe not all of it, a lot of it is the dregs of the effects of a religious spirit on the church. And it's usually one of two things. It's either, it's, an, it's a false humility... That someone is trying to sound humble to other people, which God doesn't like. Humility, God likes, but trying to appear humble, God hates. He's like that. And it, it is oppressing you. <laughs> you don't have to do it anymore. That's good news. You can stop being false humble. <laughs> and we get this, like, we're so afraid to think of ourselves too highly that we, that we, that we, that we just want to seem humble. But, but then there's the other hand that some, a lot of people, and I mean a lot of believers, that genuinely feel like filthy, dirty garbage that God could never love. And they've been saved for decades, and that's not right. We're afraid to think too highly of ourselves, so we've given us a very low, demeaning, self-deprecating view of ourselves. And I tell you, that is the opposite of what the Father sees. We are undeserving. And we were dead in our sins. But Jesus did not shed his blood for a worthless pile of dung on the edge of a toilet seat. He shed his blood for someone that he saw as a spotless bride. And it was that joy ahead of him that drove him to the cross. He said, Daddy, I'll do it. She's worth it. He's worth it. Because the world sees dirty, filthy, and useless. I see a pearl of great price. And I see a bride clothed in my righteousness. I love, we were doing chapel with the interns a couple of semesters ago, and Jeremy was leading worship, and, and he actually started singing as one of what I call these unworthy songs, <laughs> which is a good song, and I don't mean to question the heart of the guy that wrote it, but it, it, it just, 
And it, and it has redemptive ends. It talks about being, we're unworthy, but then we're made clean. And so it's good, there's a good end, but it just repeats this unworthy over and over, unworthy, unworthy, unworthy. I'm like, I'm like, oh, this song again. But I didn't say anything. But then Jeremy, just by like the Holy Spirit, he didn't plan this. He just started changing the lyrics. He's saying, your blood has made me worthy. Your blood has made me worthy. You have made me clean. And the presence of the Lord in that room shot up. And people, I'm, I'm just bawling. <laughs> you're not unworthy, dreg pile of trash. You're a prince. You're a king. You're a son. You're a daughter of the Most High God. And he's imparted his righteousness and his loveliness to you. He's given you a new identity. It says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but now we've been made alive in Christ Jesus. That we've had this no sense of value or worth or purpose, but we've been predestined to adoption as sons. That he chose you. That he, 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 he picked you. He picked you. He looked at you and said, I want, I want that one. I want that one right there. That's the one I'm going to die for. And we've been raised with Christ and seated in the heavenly places. And we were once far off, but now we've been brought near. And we've been qualified for his divine calling. And 2 Corinthians put it this way, we're a new creation, the old has passed away. Consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And we start getting revelation of this, it will actually empower us to resist sin and temptation. Get a revelation, submit to God, submit to his view and opinion of you, and in that way, you will resist Satan and his lies and his temptation, and he will run away because he's sick and tired of messing with somebody that knows that, that their sense of value and worth and dignity before the Father. He gets scared or mad or both. I don't know. I haven't asked him. But, um, but we become, he, he who knew no sin becomes sin, and we become the righteousness, the perfection the worthiness of God in Christ. Worship team, please come up. You know, this revelation of his forgiveness, that he's not punishing us anymore, and this cleansing of unworthiness, it gives us a boldness to approach the throne of Christ. It gives us boldness to come into the presence of Papa God, Daddy God, as someone that's, that he has removed all of the filth, all of the junk, all of the dirt. And he said, I have made you spotless and clean. And Hebrews puts it this way. It says, he has sanctified. He has set apart, made holy. Put it this way. He has made worthy. By his death once and for all. And he has perfected. He has made perfect. It's in your scriptures. Hebrews 10. He has made perfect. Those that put faith in him. Those that he died for. And it says knowing this. Let us draw near. With a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. Having our conscience sprinkled clean. 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 Clean from an evil, evil conscience. And being washed with pure water. Holding fast our confession. We draw near with boldness. We draw near with confidence. We draw near transparent. And it affects the way we relate to people. 
Because he who knows he's been forgiven much, loves much. He who has little revelation of the forgiveness of God, loves little. And I want to tell you today that if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness, of all unworthiness, of all filth and dirt. And he calls you son. He calls you daughter. He calls you my perfect and spotless bride. 